Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Pete, you can relax. So, so this is actually my first time to be up here that didn't involve a funeral or a wedding, so that's kind of nice. Um, good to be here today. Uh, I am Anthony McCann. I am the interim pastor here. Um, I hope you didn't mind starting with a little comedy. Uh, Pete is correct when he said my life has been uh, pretty tough, so I kind of lean towards the comedy of life, and the skit guys provide a lot of it. Um, So what he failed to mention is that I was nervous, uh, first service. I'm still a little nervous. You got to remember, I I normally talk in front of small groups of small kids, (laughs) You guys aren't small. I cannot guarantee the kid part. Todd Kyle's sitting over there, so, you know, and Ken is back there. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, well, Carl, Carl definitely wasn't happy about his foundation, was he? Uh, my favorite part of that skid is when he's rocking the foundation and telling Handy Dan Dotson that the foundation is everything, and he's not wrong. The foundation is everything. So we'll get serious here. Um, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 7 today, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Um, the whole talk is very personal to me. This passage is very personal to me, but let's start by reading it together. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 states, therefore, everyone who, enters, or everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This, by all accounts, is a very practical insight, but in reality, it's, it's a call. Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount here, and he's instructing the people to listen and act on what he just shared. Craig Bloomberg provides this insight. It's not enough to simply hear Jesus' call or even respond with some temporary flurry of good deeds. Rather, we must build a solid foundation that combines authentic commitment to Christ with persevering obedience. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous sermon ever preached, it's recorded across three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. This is the moment where Jesus is teaching believers how they should live. He first began with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes describe God's great blessings. For example, God's kingdom belongs to the spiritual needy. God will comfort those who are sad. God will give mercy to those who show mercy to others. Jesus gives believers reason to be glad when life on earth here is not that great because there are rewards waiting for them in heaven. You know, Jesus also teaches in this that believers should live, how they should live in a world that does not honor him. He calls those believers the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He said the good works of his followers should cause others to give glory to God. And at the end of his sermon, He told the crowd that a person who listens to his words is like a person who built his house on a strong rock, while a person who does not listen is like a person who builds his house on sand. 
I'm here to tell you today, when we build our, house, our lives on Jesus and his teachings, our lives will be stronger and more stable. Today, I will share with you a very personal reflection of how having a strong foundation in Christ has helped me stand here before you today. This, of course, is the last of the mixtape series. I hope you noticed that I select a classic by Simon and Garfunkel, I Am a Rock. Um, yes, it is an old song, Jason. I picked it because I'm old. So um, the reason I picked this song is not because rock or, or our island symbolized foundation. It's because the song is about relying on yourself to keep from feeling pain. You know, I've spent many years as a rock, and I tried to operate as an island, and then about 21 years ago, I was told I was going to be a father, and all that changed. Now, I will admit, it still took me eight years after that moment to fully commit my life to Christ. But just a few, moment, a few months after my son was, his son was born, I was sitting in a hospital waiting room as he was about to undergo the first of what would be many surgeries in his life. I got up and I started pacing around and I found myself in front of a children's hospital chapel. It's a cute little room. I walked in, I hit my knees, and I remember just like bawling. Like as soon as I walked in, I just was filled with tears. I started crying and then I hit my knees and I prayed. I was at a complete loss. I didn't even know what to say. When all of a sudden I was filled with a warmth and a peace, and I knew immediately that James was going to be okay and everything was going to be good. Of course, that moment right there was the beginning of a journey for me to find out who Christ is and a call for me to work to be more like him. As I reflect now, it was like I had a form for my foundation, but the bricks that were laid in there were scattered about and provided no support. That moment in the chapel was a wake-up call for me that Jesus was real. For the benefit of anyone who, who is new or if you've not heard my story before, I'm 48 years old. I was married to my wonderful wife, Tracy, for 27 of those years. Pat, this past February, she went on uh, to meet our Lord and Savior after losing her battle with uh, diabetes and heart disease. We had one son, James Patrick. They should be pictured behind me. I'm not going to turn around because I will cry. He died of complications after suffering a severe stroke, which on October 7th of this year will be eight years ago. So I've lived out a life of pain and suffering, but luckily for me, I didn't do it as a rock or an island, but as a child of the living God, standing on a foundation that Jesus Christ built. As I've already shared, I came to faith late in life, and so you might have an understanding what took me so long to get to that peaceful understanding of who Christ is. My father is a non-practicing Catholic, and my mother converted to Judaism shortly after my parents divorced when I was five. Now, I do not fault them. Um, my father is a model for hard work, servanthood, and strength, as most single parents are. He's one of my very best friends. And while we agree to disagree when we discuss theology, he's very supportive of the life I've been called to. My mother and I have only recently started to work on our relationship, so I'm going to reserve time to talk about how God has provided there at a later date. I will share this. My, my baby sister drove in from New Mexico this morning to watch first service, and uh, we are 
We're ecstatic about what's happening in my mom's life. She retired to New Mexico uh, a little over a year ago, and she started going to this small church, and she called me the other day, and she said, hey, when I figure out my relationship with Christ, will you come baptize me? And of course I will. So, so the reason you might need these details is because it's shocking to me as a pastor how often I get asked, how are you even standing? My answer is always the same. I serve a big God who provides grace and mercy far beyond what I deserve. And this by far is the truest statement I will ever utter. I've lost a son and a wife within seven years of each other. And yet here I am standing before you. I'm going to share his glory on a foundation that he built. Along those lines, several weeks ago, I ran into an old friend. We were attending a wake for a mutual friend's father. He looked at me and actually said these words. He said, I don't even know how you get out of bed in the morning. And before I could share my standard answer with him, he said, actually, I do know. It's because of your faith. But I don't get it. You know, we talked for a while, and I don't know if I changed his mind about God or not, but I do know that I laid a brick in his head and in his foundation that Jesus provided everything I needed in the good times and in bad, especially the bad. I think the important thing here is to remember that foundations are laid. They don't magically appear. It's work. It's often hard work. Consider my upbringing of two parents practicing completely different faiths, and yet God still worked in it. My father, who rarely enters a church, showed me a father's love. He taught me the benefits of hard work and how to be a servant. My mother was very diligent in her faith, going to temple and working to live out what she believed. Both of them installed enough, instilled enough bricks into the form of my foundation on a day when my tank was completely empty. I was able to hit my knees and pray to a God I wasn't even sure existed at the moment. And man, did he show up. He showed up and placed the most important brick into my foundation. It would become the cornerstone of my faith. And that's Jesus is real. And he loves me. My foundation like yours is built brick by brick. There's no single defining aha moment where I magically woke up and everything's in place. God worked on me slowly, patiently. Let's stress the patiently. Uh, My family's sitting down here and they're going, yes, patiently. Um, And he's still at work in me today. I try to start my every day and get his word and I end it in thankful praise for all he has done. He's provided an army of godly men and women to love, support, and encourage me. My slow ascent to understanding who Christ is was filled with heartache, purpose, guidance, strength, and opportunity. But every brick was built on the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Without Christ, there is only sand. John Piper once said, the cross is not not foundation. The way cement blocks in your basement are foundation you know, out of sight, out of mind. It is foundation the way fire is foundation for light, the way paint is foundation for portraits, the way love is foundation for relationships, the way lilacs are foundation for the aroma that fills the air, 
the way that sacrifice is the foundation of the eternal song of the Lamb. So now you can see why I've kind of struggled with moments of relating to Simon and Garfunkel's song. I would like to share with you that I'm standing on a foundation of truth that not only helps me get out of bed every morning, but live a life that honors God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He provided strength, hope, and opportunity. Most recently, as Pete mentioned, I was asked to be the interim children's pastor here at Hillside. It's not an opportunity I took lightly. Just ask any of my closest friends and mentors who have prayed with and for me. One of those you heard from last week, and probably the most influential of those was Jason. Pastor Jason and I are completely different. There's no doubt about it. We've lived different lives. We're different. We have different personalities. Somehow God put us together, (laughs) and it worked. We have been friends. He has been my mentor for 12 years. And more than that, he's my brother. Jason has been at every hospital, in every room that Tracy, James, and I were in. He was there the night James passed away in the hospital. Him and Jenny were in the room with us. He was the first person I called while the paramedics were working on Tracy. He was on vacation at 2 o'clock in the morning. He picked up the phone. He cried with me. He prayed with me. And then he did something that was totally amazing. The minute we hung up, he called an army over to help support me because he couldn't be there. The past 14 years, Jason has worked hard to build a children's ministry and children's ministry team with a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, tears, but more than that, it was prayer and it was God's guidance. I'd like to share with you a little bit about our children's ministry and the legacy that Jason created and what I hope to carry on because those are big shoes to fill. But he's entrusted it to me and I will do what God has asked me to do. The children's ministry mission is this, equipping children to become more like Jesus, which is closely tied to the mission of the church to help people discover who Jesus really is and how to become just like him. We do this by teaching biblical foundational truths. We are the bricklayers in their foundation. And we take that responsibility very seriously while providing some fun and enjoyment along the way. Everything we do in children's ministry serves a purpose, starting with open activities and ending in small groups. Even our crafts have purpose, as you will see a little bit later. Let me give you examples of what we've been teaching in our children this past month. We were learning about the divided kingdom. We've been in the Old Testament. The lessons we taught this past month were Elijah confronted the evil Ahab, Elisha and Naaman, how the prophets predicted the exile. We learned about Jonah. And last week, we learned about how Esther saved her people. The memory verse this past month was Micah 6.8. What an incredible verse to put in our children's arsenal. It states, The Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy. You must be humble as you live inside of your God. You know, committing God's word to memory is one of the most important bricks of all of our foundations. 
Our series point this past month was because people of Israel disobeyed God, the kingdom was split into two parts. In a similar way, sin divides and destroys our lives. But God always offers forgiveness when we turn back to him. Two weeks ago when we were learning about Jonah, in Route 56, we discussed the news personality, Paul Harvey. How many of you guys remember Paul Harvey? It's a much younger crowd, second service, Pete. (laughs) So... Paul Harvey had this amazing way of starting a news story, and he would build it up and build it up, and then he would take this long, dramatic pause, and us old people remember that he would say, now, for the rest of the story. You know, Jonah lends itself to a Paul Harvey moment, because as little kids, we see Jonah as a victory story. We would cheer as Jonah's released from the whale, and he finishes what God asked him to do. It's not, to that, not until we're older or like me reading through God's word way late in life, that we learn that Jonah's not running out of fear, but anger. That he's being selfish because he knows that God is a forgiving God and he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to be forgiven. I would like to share with you a sample of what we shared in Route 56 that week. It says, Jonah had obeyed, but he was mad at the results. He truly wanted the people of Nineveh to be punished, But because of their obedience, they were forgiven. He was so angry, he sat outside the city pouting. God tried to make him understand, but Jonah would not let his heart be softened. Not even when the Lord said, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. You know, God is a gracious God and will forgive those who truly repent no matter what they've done. And Jonah could not grasp that concept. He was more concerned with his feelings than, li- than the lives of all the people of Nineveh. And now, as Paul Harvey had stated, you know the rest of the story. You know, learning the rest of the story provides another brick in the foundation for our children. We try to make sure we reinforce our lessons with a now what or an action step, something to carry with them. For Jonah, it was, I can ask God for forgiveness, and I can know that God still loves me no matter what I've done. What an important brick for all of us to have. In Route 56 specifically, we asked them a question we want them to pray through and reflect on during the week. For Jonah, we challenged them with this question. Are you able to forgive the way God forgives? Think about your foundation for a moment. Ponder that thought and that truth. How many of us are able to forgive the way God forgives? After a large group, our students get an opportunity to meet in small groups. And this is where our leaders get time to hang out with kids and do crafts. And uh, it's a cool moment. I'll show you the craft that we did for Jonah. Here's Jonah in the belly of a whale. It seems very simplistic, but what you don't see because you're in here is a leader sitting with a child, help them put this together, And the whole time, they're asking them about the lesson they just learned. And what amazes me every time is how effortlessly kids answer questions about what they just heard and what they just learned about God's truth from their perspective. Now, I have another craft, and I'll be honest, I don't know how foundational this is. I think... The ladies in the children's ministry created this in retaliation of me shooting rubber bands at them all week. Because I've noticed that all of them have one on their desk, 
They have ping pong balls instead of these, and they're all aimed at me. So, who knew? So, you know, I can share that we're blessed that God provides amazing servant leaders who help lay the foundational truths. And they do it by not just sharing God's word, but sharing their lives and being a godly example. An important brick in my foundation was laid in the classroom of this church. You know, once you take on the responsibility to teach kids God's word, it encouraged me personally to learn more about him. What started as an opportunity to serve with my son turned into a lifetime calling to help build foundations into the hearts of our children. I'm going to share with you a small breakdown of how God worked on me. I started serving on Sunday mornings. Uh, My son was in third grade. And as he moved up, I moved up. We were down in the other building. This building was still in process of being built. Um, To be completely honest with you guys, I was was only living my best spiritual life on Sundays. My family's down here. They're going to nod their heads in a minute because they know. I was on my best on Sundays, but it was rarely reflected at my home or any other area of my life. James was very confused because he got to see two different people, the Sunday dad and the everyday dad. After we moved into this building, I remember sitting right here, down here in this corner, Pete's giving a message. You know those messages where he's like directing everything right at you? Even when he's looking this way, you know he's talking right to you, (laughs) you know? And everything he's saying is hitting me in the chest. He gave us an opportunity to pray that day. Come up and pray with one of our elders. I was sitting down there. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. And all I heard God say was, it's time. I stood up, I walked over to Jeff Wakefield, who I wasn't sure I'd ever met until that moment. And I told Jeff that I was done being a Sunday Christian and that I was ready for God to use me. Jeff prayed with me that day. He prayed for me. We were right in front of that speaker. And here's what's cool. My life changed. Not just because Jeff prayed for me then, Because Jeff has prayed for me every day. He has checked on me every day. In one way or another, he was at the hospital when James passed away. He called me when Tracy passed away. I never have to worry about if I'm being prayed for because Jeff and his family take care of that. It's a great comfort to know that godly men are looking after you. But it also created a fever in me. I wanted to know God's word more. There was this crazy desire, and Pete and I talked about it over lunch the other day, how I participated in every opportunity that was available at this church. I wanted to surround myself with godly men because I knew I was less than stellar father and husband. And I wanted to have a firmer foundation below me. And I needed new bricks laid beneath my feet. I remember doing an accountability group called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And uh, 
this this passage, this section out of this book I'm going to read, just it hit me hard. And, and when I was putting this talk together, God reminded me about it. And when I picked up my book, it was still very much highlighted. Uh, it says, we must protect our minds. We must refuse to allow our culture's media to write our program. We must say no to the wasteland that invade our homes. And we must make a conscious effort to submit to the divine programmer through reading his word. There's got to be some holy sweat. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Prayerfully commit yourself to reading and studying God's word. Further, read the great works of those who have gone before you. Prayerfully make your commitment now. I made a commitment, and at the age of 37, I decided that I would read through the entire Bible in a year. It's a feat that we have all tried. And as Jason pointed out, we all lose at Leviticus. Right? But I was successful that first year with a little help and encouragement from some friends and a relentless Bible app that kept reminding me I had verses to read that day. So uh, this happened to be the same year that I learned the truth about Jonah, by the way. Since that year, I've committed to reading through the Bible every other year. Um, this year, I'm actually reading it through chronologically because sometimes I read it cover to cover. Other years, I read it chronologically. I do it to just get an understanding of not only God's word, but our relationship. This is his love letter to us. It's one of the greatest things he provided us. It is a definite brick that should be in everybody's foundation is to spend time understanding God's word. And I can tell you that the bricks that were laid through that opportunity would get me through some of the toughest moments I would endure. I'll share those in a minute. As I continued to grow, I was invited by Pastor Cody to be a small group leader and dare to be a Daniel. Now, keep in mind, this was a long time ago because Pastor Cody wasn't a pastor. He was an intern one summer. And... I remember sitting down in zone three and Pastor Cody's on this little stage that's in the corner and nobody delivers the word to children with more fire than Pastor Cody. Actually, intern Cody. I sat in that room and I watched him and I knew right then that God wanted me to be more than just a body in a classroom. It was such an encouragement to watch how Cody poured into those kids, how he poured into God's word, and how he wanted them to understand the importance of what God's word could do for them. It changed my life, and I know it changed several others as well. From there, I would help facilitate our Wednesday night junior high ministry called Truck. It's funny how every opportunity that God placed before me helped me to be more diligent in my prayer life, my quiet times. It even changed the way I participated in my small groups. I was finally becoming the man that Tracy and James would need me to be. And need is the key word there. Because at the peak of God using me, my foundation would be rocked. Once again, I found myself sitting at the children's hospital writing room with Tracy. James was supposed to have this real simple procedure to get his heart back into rhythm. We were suddenly called into a small consultation room. The phone rang. The nurse nurse said that James made it through the procedure fine. 
But on his way to recovery, he stopped breathing. And the doctors were working on him now. So here I am. I'm at Children's Hospital. I get on my knees, Tracy. We're in this tiny, it's a tiny room. And I'm on my knees at Tracy's feet. And I'm praying for two things. I'm praying for James to be fully healed. And I'm praying for God's will to be done. That's a tough prayer. Of course, now because my new foundation, it's not like the chapel. Because now I hear God's word in my head and I can feel it in my heart. And I heard Mark eleven twenty four that says, therefore I tell you whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I remember saying out loud to Tracy, it's going to be okay. We will accept what, what God's will is on this. James suffered a massive stroke that day. And though he was surrounded by some of Children's Hospital's best doctors, it took him 13 minutes to revive him. I want you to remember what I prayed for. I prayed for James to be fully healed and for God's will to be done. Because after 41 days, our prayers were answered. In a small room in Children's Hospital on a Sunday, I laid on top of James, Tracy next to me, as he took his last breath. There were a lot of people in that room that day. The Breams were there, the Nobles, Daniel, Mike, Toby. And I remember having to lean up after he took that last breath and close his eyes. And I, know, I remember being hurt. I remember being angry. And then I was reminded what I told God. I told God those many days ago that I would accept his will. I hear the words of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 in my heart. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And as I'm laying on James, I'm praising him for the time that we had, praising God for the 13 years that we had with James. And though I wasn't ready to say goodbye, it was time. James died on October 7th, and I was scheduled to teach and trek that next Wednesday night. While talking through how we wanted to handle that evening, Tracy and I both felt that it was important to at least show up. I remember saying to her, I know this will be tough, but what are we showing our students about our faith if we don't at least show up and share what we believe? We let Trek kids know that after, after service that we would hang out and answer any questions that they had or concerns they had or pray with anyone that, that wanted prayer. And there was a young lady who had tears streaming down her face. She walked over to Tracy and I, and she said, I don't get it. We were all praying. And why didn't God answer our prayers? 
And without skipping a beat, Trace and I both said, sweetie, our prayers have been answered. James is no longer suffering. He's no longer in pain. And he is fully healed. What I didn't know then is that seven and a half years later, right outside these doors, is I would be having the exact same conversation with one of our college students just a few short days after Tracy passed away. Now, keep in mind, I didn't get 41 days to prepare with Tracy, but those prayers were not any different. I prayed for her to be healed as I applied chest compressions. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm praying as I'm giving my wife chest compressions. And after the EMS got there and they were working to revive her, once again, I prayed for God's will to be done. And after they told us there was nothing left they could do, I hit my knees. My sister-in-law was standing right next to me. She's here this morning. I hit my knees and cried. I mean, I was wailing. I cried out for Jesus. I cried out in pain. There was absolutely nothing left we could do. And then I remembered to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. You know, Tracy suffered from health issues for 20 years. Often, most weeks, she had three or four different doctor's appointments a week. Towards the end, she could hardly walk. It was a pain for her to sit. She was uncomfortable. Even though I put in a stair rail in the house, she rarely slept up in our bed. More than that, she was still in a lot of pain because she missed her son. And when you're told there's nothing left we can do and you give it to God, God, he does give you that peace that she's no longer suffering. She's no longer in pain and she's fully healed. And more importantly now, she's in the hands of our Lord and Savior with James by her side. Jesus laid another brick in my foundation that day. My foundation was firm, and though it was rocked, it didn't crash. Commentator Peter Lang, uh, John Peter Lang shares his thought on foundation, and I'll summarize it for you. It says, we, should, we need to see the rock as the eternal word with all its compactness and firmness, and then the sand as the world, which resembles particles of sand without cohesion. And then know that every spiritual structure shall be tried. As a parent, husband, pastor, I've walked a road of loss, hurt, and abandonment. But Christ has built a foundation beneath me. And I know that because today I'm here proclaiming his victory. Not just for my, not just for me, but for our next generation. God has called me to be a children's pastor.
and I'm grateful for that. But it's the foundation beneath me that's most important. How about you? What's your foundation built on? What's your cornerstone? For those who have a firm foundation, are you taking that opportunity to be a bricklayer for somebody else? How about you that that don't know or not sure what you believe? Here, online, if you're here today or you're watching online, there's at least a brick in your form of foundation that's telling you that there's something more. Well, Acts 4.10, 10 through 12 tells us what that is. It says, let it be known, all of you, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name other heaven that has been given among men which, by which we must be saved. Please know that once you allow for Jesus to be your cornerstone, the rest of your foundation will come together. It may get rocked, but it is firm. But it will not crash like those who have built on loose sand. Before we go, I'd like to challenge you with one of our Route 56 Sixers questions. Actually, it's probably going to be more Paul Harvey-esque in its structure. And it is, what's the rest of your story going to be? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the brick and the brick layers that you've put in our lives. We thank you for the firm foundation Most of all, Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our cornerstone. And the life that you've built, the life that we've been able to build upon your foundation, we're grateful for that. And for those who do not love you, Lord, I pray that there's a bricklayer somewhere that will help them understand who you are, that they will come to know you and trust you and love you, and that they will stand on something firm that's built by you. In your precious name we pray, amen.